everything that you want to accomplish in this industry is like perfectly doable. You're gonna meet people over and over and over again that are gonna tell you you can't and they're wrong. Mm -hmm. But the only way it's gonna get done is if you do it and you have to show up and there's gonna be nobody that is gonna be your biggest advocate except for yourself and you just have to keep going. I've witnessed that firsthand. It's not really just this industry. I feel like oh, that's every with life in its own way. Yeah. Um, obviously there's limiting factors. I mean, don't get me on the rant from anthropology. Like <laughs> there's realist, like class is a real thing and all yeah, that. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but I just feel like there is like a lot of like opportunity for people if they can like really just believe in it and make it happen and start like living it. People are fascinating, especially up close. More especially when you get them talking about the things that they love. This is From the Hip, conversations in the service of passion, purpose, and play. I'm Adrienne Gunn. You ready to play? Today on From the Hip, I am sitting with my friend Cole Howard, who is a cinematographer and photographer, or a visual storyteller, rather, and we hadn't seen each other for eight years. And I suppose as storytellers, so I, it, I, I guess it makes sense that we would just Vegas do that on video rather than, mm -hmm. you know, getting year. drinks um, or whatever so the, the kids do like these days. My heart space and I just tapped my own microphone because that's where my heart is evidently. Yeah. But um, yeah, so I went finally to New Mexico because I hadn't seen it. And I had this, I had this like really beautiful feeling of like, okay, this is home, but not right now. And yeah. it made me so sad because I was like, this is the perfect place to like have a second home or retire or just visit yeah. a lot. The way that some people will do a trip to Hawaii like yeah. every winter um, to sort of like Santa Fe's my Hawaii mm -hmm. is how I thought of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, it's, it's real. And it's actually kind of funny. I was reflecting on this while I was driving here that... Uh, years ago when we were at Portland Community College. Mm -hmm. I remember us being in the parking lot and I think it started raining that I day. I wasn't going to talk to you about that. <laughs> Don't tell me about it. <laughs> well, it's just funny because I remember we were talking and I randomly said that I felt like the desert was calling me. Yeah. And I was like, I just feel like I got to like head there, that I got to find a way to be there. And at the time, um, I think I had like applied to U of O and gotten in and thought that I was going to finish up my undergrad at U of O. Mm -hmm. And um, they, you know, charged me way too much money to go there and all of the local schools weren't giving me a deal. And so I ended up deciding to take a risk and be like, no, I'm going to like take time off mm -hmm. and like get into a good school and go to sunshine schools and sure enough yeah I got into the University of New Mexico and then went and lived there it was like this precursor to the next few years of my life just like moments of that conversation heck yeah that's awesome yeah. I know I was thinking that too because okay so why why not don't start at the beginning I'm not into that like start <laughs> in the middle so if we were ever to talk to people mm -hmm. these are our people oh yeah yeah just in case that camera Hi. Okay. Which one? That one? This the, one? Both? Not the tiny oh. one. The, that one there. Cool. Okay. If you ever want to say hello. Yeah. Or gesture out to like... Do we introduce or I don't know? I'm, I'm getting well. there. Yeah. Cool. Probably. It may happen. <laughs> <laughs> so I might do it even now. Cool. So I'm still Adrienne Gunn and I'm hanging out with... Cole Howard. Cole Howard. Cole and I met... I'm not even quite sure when we met because it's possible that we just saw each other first. Uh, I was going back to school for business 
degree, advertising and marketing, and I was balancing my life and my brain with theater classes and other creative classes so that as I was taking econ and uh, accounting and stuff that I didn't know whether my, my life would enjoy it, I was balancing, it, like balancing that with like creative work. So I was taking acting classes at PCC, and fitness classes there. The, the first time I actually ever met you, or not even met you, was I saw you on stage. Oh, really? Yeah, I saw you perform. Oh, shit. And the show that uh, Gretchen was... Uh, Which one? Because there were two. It was the one that had the religious background. Oh, sweet. Yeah. So you saw... Wait, wait, wait. It's, it's Stephen Adley Gurgis? Uh, Judas Iscariot. Yes. That's the shortened version of the title, I think. Yes. But, so like I played Mother Teresa. Like, yeah. Yes. And this, like... Angel Gloria, yes. and I got to smoke. Yeah, yeah, you had all kinds of attitude. Yeah, and he had this amazing yeah. wig. I think there's a photo <laughs> of that somewhere. We'll be like, we'll put it in. Yeah, you saw that show. That was my introduction to Adrian Gunn. Oh God. Yeah. She's fun. That version. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was great. Like that was a really wonderful performance, and I remember I felt like really connected to everybody I saw perform after yeah. that, and then ended up like in some way, shape, or form kind of developing some form of like friendship with each of the people on stage from that. That show was magic. That show was magic from the moment we did our table read. Mm -hmm. We all went around and shared really important stories of our connection to the show and our connection with religion and that sort of thing, mm -hmm. and like from the first table read of our first rehearsal that group just became really tight-knit and I, there were there were shenanigans of course later yeah. <laughs> some 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 things that that some of us would be embarrassed about if we told stories but like yeah but that was one of those experiences where I'd, I'd heard about these times where you like get into the project and it's just everybody loves each other and it's just magic yeah that was one of those yeah I'm glad to have had that in my <laughs> life yeah, so that was my introduction to you, and then somewhere around that, because, like, oddly, like, I think I just felt really comfortable just going up to people and being like, I saw you perform, and it kicked ass, nice. and uh, somewhere in that, we became friends. Yeah, well, and I think, did, were you taking an acting class at the time you saw that show? I think that was why I saw the show, was because, like, we got extra credit if we went and saw certain shows, like, related to the local um, theater and all that, and yeah. then, yeah, so I accidentally, I mean, I took an acting class because I was needed some sort of fine and performing arts credits. I didn't really plan on doing much with it. Mm -hmm. From there, um, ended up performing in one act plays, which I like had like been like taken by the arm and like kind of like behind my back and it forced to go into it. And then yeah. next thing I know, I was like, God, I love being on stage again. Cause as a yeah. little kid, I used to do it. Nice. And then that stumbled into multiple years of improv. Um, oh, yeah! <laughs> okay, well, so the first thing I saw you do, and I don't even know if you told me about it, or mm -hmm. if I heard you were in the class, I'm like, oh, I have to see that. I think you did a scene from, is it the rabbit hole? This really depressing play. God, that was such a really two, yeah. two parents that lose their child. Yeah. This really tender scene. Yeah. Holy God, you broke my heart in that scene. It was beautiful. That was a really intense one. Yeah. And then Nicole Kidman did that movie later yeah, on. Yeah, I haven't seen her version of it yet. I know, yet, I won't see it because I'm still like affected by that role. Totally. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, so this conversation in the parking lot, I was thinking that I love, you were just agreeing to show up today, <laughs> super late last night, and uh, 
funny. I'm, I'll get to that part in a minute. But like, I was, I was thinking about like, for some reason, I don't know where we were supposed to be going next. Yeah. We just see each other in the parking lot. We have a conversation, and it was one of those. It must have been pivotal or magic. These just magic moments that you could fall into, where we're just. I don't remember what we were talking about. Probably mm-hmm. existentialism and life and journeys, and we're being rained on. But it's it's like one of those movies where it's like slow magic rain mm-hmm. that's not cold. Yeah, and like the world is just sort of like quieted down everywhere. I don't know. Yeah, there's a scene like that in a in a Sandra Bullock movie. Ben Affleck and Sandra Bullock <laughs> in a movie where like the rain slows down and everything's like slow. I don't know. Yeah. I love that you remember that too. No, it was just, it was a weird moment because I remember just saying like with confidence, my soul is calling me here and then kind of having this acknowledgement that that's where I was going next. And then we were having some deep conversation <laughs> and it just rained on us and we just kept talking and yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm so glad you did go to the desert. Yeah, I me mean, too. I would be the person to encourage that because <laughs> it was so funny. When I moved to Vegas and fell in love with the desert, I would come back to Portland and talk to people about it, and they were just like, ah, what do you think that? What's going on? Some versions of Portland people, other places are not allowed to exist. Yeah, yeah, I get it. And it was, I, I'm not sure that's their, that's their journey, but man, even the deserty parts of Idaho, man, other places exist in their magic. Well, absolutely. I think that there's like, especially I've noticed it a lot more in like recent years. I've been trying to like just dabble in landscape photography and stuff like that. I see different energies and different kinds of scenarios mm-hmm. or like different types of uh, natural environments. And yeah, I mean, like as a kid, I remember growing up and um, I didn't really reflect on this until I moved down in New Mexico that I'd spent time there as a kid. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because my mom used to kind of like gypsy lady all over the country. Oh, nice. And uh, for a while she dragged me along and then I caused enough hell to get sent back to Oregon. <laughs> and then I would still go for like summers and all that. Yeah, as a kid, I hated going out there. I like had no appreciation whatsoever for being in that type of environment. But like at some point, I started to like really get into it um, later on in life, where it's just like there is like a certain magic that you get in different environments. And it's mm-hmm. even like growing up here in the Pacific Northwest. Like I get like this is my wallpaper, yeah. right? So like I get really accustomed to seeing the green and the forest. And I just don't think about it. Right. And then you send me in the desert for a year, and I come back, and I'm just like in awe of like everything that I'm seeing. You know, makes sense. it's just there's an energy to it. Hell yeah. So okay, I think it's been quite a while, like many many years, maybe even six to eight or somewhere well, honestly, around that, yeah. that we've actually yeah. seen each other. Probably closer to eight. Out. Yeah. So, so we have this magic moment in a. In a parking lot, and maybe we went for sushi and went yeah. to a play. Yeah. And then, and then you wandered off onto your adventure, and I, like I knew you traveled. Yeah. In life, but you've been up to crazy, amazing things since then. I don't. That's not a brilliant way to start it. Like I, <laughs> I can highlight what I've seen in Facebook world. Uh huh. So, there, there was the call that adventured to China to learn kung fu for a while. Yeah. Then there was the call that went to school. Mm-hmm. And got a degree in something, mm-hmm. and then and then quickly went to the Olympics. Uh, I was in Brazil during the World Cup. World Cup, mm-hmm. okay. And then you've come back, and uh, somehow in all that you became a photographer. I don't know if that was something that you were always into. And then you're like photoing like riots and Standing Rock and Burning Man, and like there's a lot. 
of shenanigans and travel that can be covered in that. Like, what the heck? <laughs> <laughs> like this, like, I knew you had itchy feet anyway uh -huh. when we met. But so, I mean, where do you drop in? What, where did the, like, the obsession come from? Just like, did you catch on some of your mom's gypsy spirit? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I don't think her and I have a very similar vibe on like where we're like going with that. Mm -hmm. um, perhaps there's some sort of thing, but like, I don't know, like, I guess I always saw it as like something that developed when I was like hitting puberty or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but in recent years, I found a journal that I kept when I was like 11 years old. And I definitely saw a lot of stuff that suggested that like this has just been ingrained in my personality. Oh, man. Just like little things like a lot of it's just like 11 year old, like stream of consciousness, like talking about girls and, you know, yeah. my dad or, you know, just school sports, all that. Yeah. But then there were like. I, I, I'm amazed I remembered it, but I found like that I wrote codes within like the journal. So like certain words underlined or stuff like so that like nobody would see it except for me. Yeah. And somehow, you know, 20 plus years later, I still remembered. And there was stuff in there that would say stuff like I can't live like a normal life or like I just want to adventure yeah. or like not like be in this life, you know, and it was just like this spirit that like yeah. had to go. Um, and like, yeah, I mean, it started way before community college, like right out of high school, I moved to Europe on a whim and yeah. kind of just did that for a while and then came back briefly and then was living in Southeast Asia and Australia. And, uh, I got into volunteer stuff from like working on the tsunami relief, um, after that big Sumatra tsunami that happened and, oh, uh, yeah. yeah. So yeah, that all started and then. I essentially came back. Um, I, I initially, I didn't plan on coming back from Asia the first time, but um, I had my stepdad going through cancer, mm -hmm. and there was just a lot of like family issues going on, and I was asked to come back, so I did. And then I kind of came back, and some things kind of sorted themselves out, and I found myself like kind of wanting to just go right back out, but was kind of being petitioned by you know, family and people will be like, well, like, maybe you should figure out what you want to do with your life. Right. Um, I've heard of this. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why <laughs> I was suddenly at community college when we met. Um, yeah. Saying yes to the sensible people who are like, there's a possibility you could do all of it, but also with some stability. So do yeah. we have to cry and worry about you? Yeah. Yeah. More or less. Um, <laughs> and admittedly, like, um, especially in like recent, recent years, like I've found from meeting some people that are really doing it the way that I would like to be doing it, that mm -hmm. like there is something to having some sort of foundation built. And, mm -hmm. and that's definitely something I'm working towards. Yeah. Because if you're not worried about rent, then you're not worried about like uh, how you're going to make it happen if you want to take three months off and work on a documentary. Heck you know? yeah. But if you're worried about rent, <laughs> that's not a realistic possibility unless you have really planned it out well or you're willing to risk it all. Yeah, I think I was talking to my friend Teresa even just last week on this couch about how the, oh, what is it, the scare scarcity mentality and surviving mentality is not, it's creative. Yeah. But it's creative in a different way. It's like creativity kind of needs some sort of stability. Like we, we kind of need the, 
the more grown up parts of ourselves to take care of the like wandering spirit yeah so that we can everybody can play together yeah yeah and like i respect the hell out of the people that can just wandering gypsy their way through life and it was something that i was definitely harvesting that spirit in yeah. the past ultimately there's another side of me that recognized that I was only able to do it because I'm privileged, you know, mm -hmm. because I have the fortunate ability to like come back and crash with friends or family and yeah. kind of dip into my resources. That's great, but after a while it kind of feels like you're exploiting your own community, which is not <laughs> something I'm really about. You know? Yeah, although the rules of how we're supposed to participate in the world are ever shifting. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, and I, I, like of course you don't want to like take advantage of people. Yeah, yeah. And I have I have a couple of really amazing friends that have, like when we talk about resources, there's like money, there's other people, there's yeah. creativity. People actually love to help people. I, there are probably tons of people in the world who would love to live vicariously through you and feed you things and have you at their house. <laughs> so, like, I have a friend that just for, I don't know, a decade or so, just traveled playing music and she just crashed at anyone's house because she yeah. had been a part of a community where they just wanted to be a part of her world that way. Yeah. Because they didn't do it, yeah, but they yeah. wanted her to do it. If that makes any sense? It I'm totally name makes names, sense. But. Yeah. Yeah, and, I, and I know that there are like, those people that can make that work and I appreciate that. Yeah. I think I kind of had a turning point where I thought that I wasn't just worried about my own life. And so suddenly like when I had responsibility more than myself, mm -hmm. I got a lot more entrepreneurial and a lot more like, okay, this isn't just me and a vehicle and some cameras trying to make it work, you know? Right. Um, so that shifted things a lot, but, but it was cool. Like, um, yeah, it ended up like, I feel like it was all for like a good thing because I'm getting more out of like what I want. And like, I think one thing that a friend of mine said to me about a couple of years ago was like, cause we were talking about me turning 30 at the time, <laughs> three years ago, whatever. Um, <laughs> she was just like, there's something about when you hit this certain point in your life where you suddenly know what you want mm -hmm. and it's a lot easier to go after it. Cause you're not spending time floundering around saying, what do I want? Right. Instead, you're like, okay, cool. I know exactly what I want. So all I got to do is like make that happen. Yeah. Um, so yeah, all of the crazy experiences that I've had have not always been like a direct line to where I wanted to be. But now I like actually feel like I have a pretty solid idea of how I'm going to put yeah. it all together. I love the bits about like, I discovered a lot about what I don't want to do. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever you can call those like floundering years. Mm -hmm. It's like... I uh, deeply experienced in all the kinds of jobs that I don't want to do. Yeah. That I, I seem to be pretty good at, yeah. but really didn't enjoy. <laughs> or, or like uh, finding myself in situations like, I love that you're willing to travel in a particular way. I've always, I mean, I know a lot of people are like, yeah, they got the traveling bug. I have the version where I kind of want to be somebody when mm -hmm. I travel. I'm open to it. And I want there to be like, like my driver that's there that yeah. is at the airport for me and then and then opens the world to me and I want to have the <laughs> the challenge of wanting to like oh the burden of oh I have to escape my driver and all of these up and then and then go hang out and like catch a train to Greece and just hang out on a beach to escape all of the, the luxury that's <laughs> <laughs> Not not the same as like I'm wearing one pair of shoes and I have a backpack and I'm just <laughs> like 
eat bread for four weeks. That's not the version of travel that I've ever wanted to do. Yeah. But my versions have changed a lot over the years as well. And I've reflected a lot on that. Like, you know, when I first moved to Europe, when I was like 19, I think the most expensive thing I took with me was a skateboard. And the second most expensive thing I had was a disc man. And there were iPods out then back then, but I had a disc man (laughs) because I was like, ain't nobody is going to steal my disc man. (laughs) Um, And I was hipster about my music back then. And when somebody did steal my disc man in a hostel in Scotland, I was so much more mad about the CD that was stolen um, than I was, which was like a CD a friend burned for me. And it was like an album, not even like a mixtape or something. So at the time, you know, we had Napster and all of those fun things, which nobody from the millennial like region would understand what we're talking about. But, you know, our own versions of stealing music. but it was just, music was less accessible, it felt like. So like now I could find that album again in a heartbeat if right. I just looked it up. But yeah. back then it felt like, how am I ever going to get that album back? Yeah. Um, and yeah, my $10 disc man was really not a big deal. But anyways, I guess my point is back then traveling was like, I, I just went, you mm-hmm. know, and I remember... Uh, you know, at one point running out of money and being like, it's cool, I can just sleep in a park for a little bit in like Glasgow. (laughs) And this hostel manager was like, no, you're gonna get a job soon. Like, I'll just put you in a bed for a little bit. He's like, take some money and eat. And I'm like, I'm fine, I'm fine. He's like, no, I can tell you're not eating enough. And yeah, it was just like this very bare bones um, kind of scenario. And then when I was in Brazil, like trying to document the World Cup, I mean, I came with thousands of dollars of equipment um, mm-hmm. and, you know, like I, I had a Brazilian cell, uh, smartphone so I could keep in touch with uh, kind of like where things were going on in the moment with like current events so I could know when to catch a riot. Um, yeah. So I could post stuff on Twitter and like the moment. And so it was just this it's like I remember one point reflecting on it being like I got to be conscious of you know do I have insurance for this gear like what if somebody tries to rob me like they've got my life's worth of equipment and it was just like how did we get here yeah like like from being just like this you know like bum mentality of like I'll just skateboard around Europe and not worry about it to like (laughs) I'm a want to be professional with like a whole bunch of like expensive equipment that if you rob it I'll cry (laughs) yeah yeah well so how the heck did you find the camera I didn't know if was that something you were because when we talked I think you were maybe playing around with like being an MC like hip-hop and you were like playing some music and everyone was like (laughs) (laughs) those little moments and I'm like all right photojournalism hell yeah when Uh, did that show up well yeah so back then I was, uh, like, because even at PCC, I was looking at cultural anthropology. Yeah. Um, and that's what I ended up getting my degree in, was cultural anthro with, like, a focus in human rights. And uh, I was definitely playing around with hip-hop and stuff like that, but that's just, uh, like... You gotta express yourself, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and I've always surrounded myself by creatives, and that's definitely gone into performance artists and musicians. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, a lot of my friends, like in that crew, were like, uh, like DJs, MCs, uh, beats producers, like graph artists. You know, like, yeah. Uh, so yeah, it was really cool, and I really enjoyed the vibe. I just couldn't keep up with it myself. <laughs> you know? um, 
But yeah, so I was definitely like dabbling in a little bit of everything at that time. You know, I, I remember always having a fascination with photography even when I was a little kid. I just never had the equipment. Mm. Um, and yeah, it was one of those things that like, without having it, I just didn't see as accessible. But like, if you look at my life, it's kind of been this like uh, journey of me telling myself or somebody telling me, you can't do that. And so me believing it and then eventually me having this revelation of, oh, yeah, I can. You're right. And then me going through and making it happen. Um, and that was kind of me with photography. Um, I would played around with point and shoots and like capturing lightning in Malaysia like back in the day. And I've like played around with cameras, but I never really understood how to like make it accessible to me yeah. until uh, I'd started this project with Brazil. And um, initially it was an ethnographic project that um, I'd gotten funded by the Department of Education to go and learn Portuguese in Brazil mm -hmm. with the plot that I would then go back and do this research. But like they weren't asking me to, but it was like, we want to fund you with the hope that you'll continue to move forward with this research idea. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so that was going to probably be like, my master's thesis or my dissertation was to like keep on going back to Brazil during the World Cup and during uh, the Olympics and like witness all the changes. Mm -hmm. And uh, I showed up to Brazil like a week earlier than my program was, maybe two weeks earlier because of like some miscommunication. And uh, that was great because it gave me the ability to be myself in another country just wandering around. Yeah. But like one of my research hypotheses was that there was going to be this big social like resistance and like kind of movement like in resistance to like the upcoming events right. and uh i foresaw that happening but it was you know a hypothesis right and i show up to brazil and like two maybe three days later it happened but it happened like big like fifty thousand people protests in rio oh, like wow. 200,000 people protests in, uh, 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 sorry, Sao Paulo, like, and like at one time there was over a million people throughout the country, like protesting because every major city had massive movements going on at the same time and just like happened overnight. Like wow. I interviewed people that like, you know, big corporate guys that had friends that worked in like the Brazilian equivalent of the FBI and they were like, we didn't see this coming. Like <laughs> nobody saw this coming. Um, and so here I am at like two, three days in and I'm like, not only did my research hypothesis come true, but like it's way bigger than I ever saw, like saw that it could ever become, you yeah, know? Yeah. And uh, so I was just like kind of enraptured by it. Like I kept on going out and like getting deeper into it and with my like really horrible Portuguese at the time, like going and trying to like interview people and they're just like, keep trying kid. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember even talking to a videographer at the time who was a friend of my brother's and he was just like, you're there? And I was like, yeah, I'm here. And he's like, oh my God. And he's like, what equipment do you have? <laughs> like, I have an iPhone 4. <laughs> he was just like, let down so yeah. he's just like okay then you just got to go out there and do what you can with it you know yeah. and there i was like in the middle of this like massive like just 
you know, static energy and feeling like alive, wanting to capture it. And, uh, you know, I was taking photos with my phone and like crappy videos and trying to interview people with like the microphone and all that. Um, but uh, I found kind of disheartened by the experience in some way because like as I'm breathing like tear gas and light amounts and like I'm seeing these people like running to the front of it and I was like, I want to be that guy. And I was like, but I want to be there for a reason, yeah. you know? And when I was talking to some of my friends that were like academics, they were just like, well, it will all correlate. You'll write a book about it in like five years. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <Thrilling>. And And <laughs> so, that was like kind of a letdown on its own. Yeah. And then as well, like um, the other thing was like, as I was watching how the world media was portraying a lot of this stuff, I was like really just frustrated because I was like, that's not what I'm seeing, you know? Like yeah. there needs to be some other representation. So yeah, like as I came back, I found myself taking photojournalism classes and borrowing a camera from a friend of mine who used to teach photojournalism and then hang out with another friend of mine who's uh, uh, she was doing a master's in fine arts uh, in photography and like just all of these friends of mine that were already photographers and I kind of hung out with because I dig photography and I right. dig hanging out with creatives and all that like just started pushing me forward you know like anything it took a while to like develop a little bit of an eye but it seemed to fit quickly and then just I have this really awesome way sometimes of meeting like the right people in the right places and so I happened to get real tight with uh, like pretty early on with this uh, photojournalist who was uh, the Southwest correspondent for the New York Times. Um, this man was like one of the most humble like amazing like sweet human beings I've ever met in my life and yeah. to this day like he is somebody that I will like forever hold dearly in my heart. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, like quickly into knowing him, he was like taking me out for beers. And before he'd seen a single photo that I'd shot, like he was forcing me to have Thanksgiving dinner with his family. <laughs> and just like from hanging out with him, like I got in with like the Santa Fe reporter. They're like, oh, you know Mark Holm. Well then why don't we just throw some work at you every now and then. Oh, and nice. like, uh, I just like everything just kind of opened up to me. And it was once again one of those things. Like I remember talking with my old man and he was like, you didn't go to school for photography. You can't be a photojournalist. You can't just do that. Right. And I was like, I know, but I can. <laughs> <laughs> and, I love that. You're right. Except it's happening. Yeah. I'm doing it. Yeah, but let's, let's just let go of that and just do it, you know? Yeah. And yeah, I don't know. Like I've definitely found that that's how a lot of life I find kind of works you know I've much. met journalists that didn't go to school for journalism and they're amazing journalists or journalists that never even went to school and they're killing it you know yeah um and so I don't know like I understand why there are filters put in place but I think that sometimes those filters are put there to limit people from being what they could be yeah and uh in no way, shape, or form, my knocking like my college experience. I got some amazing community at it. I got some yeah. great like learning and all that. But I think that like yeah, sometimes people just gotta go out there and make things happen. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, so that's how I stumbled into photojournalism, and then from there, took this academic project that I was supposed to be doing. And as I got more and more fed up with the institution, 
made it into a photojournalism or like kind of a portfolio project. And nice. so then next I was back in Brazil a year later and stayed there for about like five, six months. Uh, really got my Portuguese pretty solid at the time. And yeah, took a lot of photos and had like a pretty cool experience. Heck yeah. Yeah. So how the heck did you come back? Like you're here. Portland. Portland yeah. is here. We're in Portland right now, I, if you don't know. I, if I am not in Portland, then I'm very confused. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, how did I end up back here? Uh, well, like, I don't want to paint it all like as if it was a, a success story because sometimes like it's all like this ups and down topsy-turvy yeah. thing, you know? And it's better that way. Yeah, it, there's learning in it. Um, <laughs> and yeah, um, I did the Brazil project and I got a lot out of it and I learned a ton, um, but I felt like it didn't feel like a success at the time. Mm -hmm. And so I walked away from it feeling like really defeated um, by what I was able to get access to and the images and realistically I was like still really new in what I was doing, but I like had all of like the ambition in the world yeah. and then one thing I've also learned is that like sometimes one of the biggest uh, like people that get in your way is yourself. Word. Yeah. I've said some of that on yeah. occasion. <laughs> yeah, and that was definitely a period of my life. Um, not to pretend like I've got it all dialed now, but like that was a period where like I had to like learn that one the hard way. And uh, yeah, so in Brazil I got in my own way a lot. And, and instead of like for lack of better words, uh, pulling my head out of my ass. Like I, I uh, just continued to like fall deeper into depression and frustration and all that. Yeah. So I came back from Brazil and uh, initially, you know, visited family in the South and then uh, came back to Albuquerque. And then I kind of started plotting ideas and talking with people and all that. And I guess while I was in Brazil, at one point I took a little side job where I was uh, in Peru um, documenting a yoga adventure tour. <laughs> I love that this shit exists. <laughs> I have a friend that she, she would go on tour and now she's doing yoga tours. It's like yeah, yoga adventure tour. Yeah, I don't know what that is, but it sounds awesome. Essentially, it's like a yoga tour, um, except for like they would go on hikes or like go to Machu Picchu or like go into jungle, like Amazon experiences and not just hang out at a resort. Because yeah. like what tends to happen with a lot of like those yoga retreats is like they go to a pretty place they stay at that one place and they eat good food and they do lots of yoga and it's cool, but like they don't necessarily get to like travel. And they're not experiencing anything other than like the resort. Yeah. 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 So there's like new forms of yoga tourism. Like I was researching it at one point in time and like uh, there's actually like yoga surf tours. Oh. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, so yeah, you go and you surf and you do yoga and you probably travel around that and that sounds cool. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. But yeah, so uh, this yoga instructor that I had met actually in Albuquerque, like really like hardcore, like badass woman, like really sweet, wonderful woman. But like she's okay. just like spent a bunch of time in India, takes yoga like to the extreme, does Ashtanga. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, she was starting to do these tours and she's been doing them ever since. And they're really cool. And I would love to go again. It's just hard to like take away like paid work time for like a side job. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, she had me go and do that and, and it was really cool. And while I was there though, 
I showed up and she was like, hey, so I need you to shoot some video as well. And at that time I hadn't really played with video, so it was kind of like, no. <laughs> and uh, right. she was like, no, no, I mean like your camera can technically do it, right? And I was like, well, yes. And she's like, well then problem solved, we just gotta do it. That's how yoga works too. Yeah. You don't know what positions you can get yourself into in yoga until your yoga instructor moves you into that position. So she put your camera into like pigeon and you didn't know. Yes, yes. And <laughs> as I've tried to warn her at the time, being that I was like so new to it, and then as well that, um, you know, I didn't have like stabilizers, the right things. Like there was only oh so much quality we could get without right. having the right. So it's kind of like being a first person, like time yoga student, like doing pigeon. Yeah. But <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it was cool and there was some really beautiful stuff that came out of that whole experience. You know, some of like the coolest elements of that whole experience was just getting to know the people. Mm -hmm. And at the time she said, I want you to try your best to shoot it like a documentary. And uh, you know, the footage was okay. But um, what I found at that time was that I work well in teams, mm -hmm. um, that film's interesting and I'd like to play more in it. And um, I wanted to learn more on how to like work with this other form of media. Heck yeah. And uh, so when I came back to the States, I started having like conversations with people like that worked in film or people that were like professors of what they call it, visual anthropology. So visual anthropologists sometimes work in photo or film or other right. forms of media. Um, and I was considering getting a degree in that. And then when I was eventually headed back to Portland, just cause I was like, okay, Albuquerque's great, but I don't know that I have enough of a reason to be here anymore. Right. So I figured I'd go home, see family, kind of sort myself out and then figure out if I was going to go to film school or something. Mm -hmm. But on the way, I was hanging out like in Long Beach and like doing uh, informational interviews with like professors of visual anthropology or people that worked in the film industry and kind of like trying to like extract information on like what's the right fit for me. Totally. You know? So yeah, within that, I got a lot of info and definitely was drawn towards the idea of like, I'm not going to film school. I've done enough school. I can figure out my way to just get in. Yeah. And uh, that's pretty much what I did. Like I, I moved back to Portland. Um, I uh, took a little while like networking, just trying to figure out what the hell I'm doing with myself. But uh I got in intern with a company that does a lot of like sports media stuff. Um, some Hollywood guys that like have a sports company out here. Sweet. And uh, yeah, originally I was just doing a lot of post-processing stuff, like data organization stuff. Uh, eventually started to do some freelance editing for them. Eventually that dried up and then I just continued to network my way until I got onto set. And mm -hmm. yeah, that became Portlandia, which then became commercials and movies and everything else. And now I'm uh, kind of camera assisting in that whole world. Um, Hell yeah. What's fun in like all your stories, I'm, I'm seeing where the thing that school isn't great at teaching yet. Uh, so probably your experience in theater, your experience in traveling to other countries and your experience as a bartender. Yeah allowed you to have the ability to just talk to people. Yeah. That's huge. And that's not like you can go get PhDs and have no clue how to talk to people and connect with people and, and, like, and, and find out how people actually really do things. The ability to connect with someone, which is not only like if you're doing an art where you're capturing other people, the ability to like 
know how people work. Yeah. Is is a skill set that I I know I actually picked up on in different ways, but then went and got training in communication so that I could connect with people more effectively and that sort of thing. And, you know, theater and acting does that too. Yeah. Um, but it's funny to me that those, those are skills that you can get, like the bartender skills of being mm -hmm. able to walk up to strangers and, and connect with them and talk to them, which... Which is probably, like journalists, if they want to be good at it, probably should be bartenders. Or probably <laughs> should travel to countries where they don't know anybody. You know, like, kind of, yeah. like, throw themselves in the fire that way. That's, that's huge. I'm not, I'm not knocking whatever you must have learned in your degree, but it's kind of true that there, there are ways in which school can't really teach you how to do the thing yeah. you don't want to do. No, I, I strongly agree. Like, one thing I gathered from school is that, like, school's really good at teaching theory. And, like, theory can be really great at, like, understanding, like, other perspectives of your world. And I think that that is something that is not taught enough to people, like, <laughs> unfortunately. Right. Um, and like, yeah, to be able to interpret and analyze and break things apart and put them back together is huge in every way possible. However, um, yeah, I mean, like, the number of, like, film students that I've met that don't know how to get on set while, like, I was able to just by harassing people, you know? Um, <laughs> And, and actually, 90% of like the film jobs initially that I didn't have an in for, in some way, shape, or form, had to deal with like I was somebody's bartender. Yeah. Um, and like, in no way, shape, or form, am I saying like you become a bartender and you get in the film industry. Sure. But I am saying like it's about like yeah, your way of like just getting to talk to people or, or like make it happen. You know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it depends. Like I remember when I was talking to one of the professors at uh, UC uh, Long Beach, mm -hmm. and he was saying he's like, dude, film school's great, and he's like, but film school's like there's theory he goes but it's mainly for networking he's like and like don't even worry about like your professors like you'll, you'll get along with some of them and they'll be great and he's like but it's those classmates like yeah. the one that you guys like worked on a project together he's gonna have an uncle and he's gonna get a job and then you want to stay good with him because he's gonna get you that job totally. but like it's the same concept like on Portlandia a lot of those kids went to school together but once I worked with them then they're referring me I'm referring them and then like that whole barrier of school like is just no longer a concept it's more of like this guy knows what he's doing and he's gonna get my back and do a good job and then those people are gonna be happy that I referred him so yeah hell yeah, yeah. I you were not saying the word failure about well you, you didn't feel like some of your Brazil process was a success but you're talking about like the people you go to school with and the people you network with I frequently reflect on the fact that a lot of what I know and do well now is stuff that I so fucked up in my past. So the thing that I was amazing at was not connecting with classmates when I was going to um, the tech school for recording and engineering. Uh -huh. The reason why I'm not in LA <laughs> in the studio right now, well, there are several reasons, but like one of the things I did poorly at the time is I thought it was really fun to be antisocial. Mm -hmm. and like poke fun at people and see their like, I could see people's, I could read them super fast yeah. and I could see their weaknesses and then I would poke them for <laughs> entertainment's sake. I was an ass, I was an asshole. Um, and so, so I squandered a lot of opportunities by not realizing that, that people were one of the resources. I was just super like, do it myself, create yeah. my own opportunities, but I didn't, I didn't get that no one creates their own opportunities, mm -hmm. that we're all connected. And, and so I got, I, I got it once I had a slew of people that hated me and life was really uncomfortable. <laughs> 
I was like, you know, I have a feeling there could be a different way of doing this living thing. Because uh -huh. I actually want to connect with people and they're pretty great and I, I'm doing it wrong. But what's cool is I found out like some of the same skill sets to make somebody feel bad about themselves are the same kind of buttons. You push those buttons in a different direction and they end up like their whole world opens up and livens and that sort of thing. And yeah. I, like, I, I know why I was doing it. If I look back at my journals, uh -huh. <laughs> at, the, at the hints, I really needed a lot of hugs. Yeah. I had, there was a lot of trauma and hurt in my world. So hurt people hurt people and I was one of those at some point. But like, it's so funny what we don't actually learn and what we don't teach people how to do anymore. Yeah. Like, I don't know. That's me like going on a whole spin of, of thoughts from what you just said. But. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's just yeah. There's so many elements towards like, uh, I mean, the, kind of what you're touching upon goes back to like uh, emotional scarring and vulnerability and all that <laughs> yeah. stuff. And like, yeah. Uh, sometimes the things that we need are the things that we run the furthest away from. So you needed lots of hugs, but if you were like poking at people to yeah. keep them away, then you were also running away from those. Oh, hell yeah. Now I was so good at it. And I also have joked with uh, one of my therapists in the past. I was like, you know, I, I was trained in the 90s. Like, one of the, one of the most popular stories in, in like multimedia was like the curmudgeon that you love anyway. Mm -hmm. So what is it? As good as it gets, Jack Nicholson. Yep. And all of the Seinfeld characters, like pretty yeah. much everybody who was on TV was a little bit New York, a little bit Jewish, a little bit curmudgeonly. <laughs> and that's like, you're like, you can run around being an asshole and you'd be loved anyway. And that was the strategy. It's like, I know, I'm just gonna push everybody's buttons and, uh -huh. nah, 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 nah. and all the real people will stick around. And that's how I'll know that they're like my friends. Uh -huh. And um, yeah, that's kind of just like, evidently a defense mechanism. <laughs> <laughs> issue but man yeah people we're like we're like good for each other yeah absolutely okay i'm saying that i'm gonna slightly change subject but not really go for so it so what i've been curious about and what i was like um i really needed to sleep last night but i kept going oh my god i want to ask Cole this thing um so so i don't know a lot about photography mm -hmm. and i don't tend to walk into these heightened situations where people are protesting and rioting and you've been doing a lot of that lately mm -hmm. and I'm curious when you were saying that the news media wasn't capturing they were telling a different story like what are you are you looking for something are you open to what you find there like what mm -hmm. what moments are you capturing or, or stories are you telling what are you compelled by that's a good question um, and admittedly like I have my own critiques on how the news media like does it and how I've even at times like hopped into it because um, at some point in time you're like looking for something that you think is gonna like catch a reaction you know sure. now um the simplicity of like the simple answer to what you're saying is uh like when I'm in that scenario. I'm looking for something that tells the story. Mm -hmm. I'm looking for hopefully, ideally, like some form of human connection, mm -hmm. some sort of interaction, and something that shows emotion. Right. So 
Um, a really easy, simple way to do that is capture a guy getting blasted in the face with pepper spray. Sure. There's connection, there's emotion, there's reaction, you know? Right, yeah. Um, but, like, sometimes you'll catch something else, you know? Like, something where people are uh, showing, like, a, a positive connection, you know? Where there'll be moments, and, and this is a hard thing to capture and something that I haven't been able to capture a lot of that is, like, really showing itself at this point but like there are on both sides of the fence you know people showing support to each other and every now and then you see those moments where you see people crossing over from the fence and showing support to each other ideally yeah i'm, I'm looking for something of of those natures and like there are times where like for example uh, i had a night where i right after donald trump got elected um i had a night where i was at the protest for multiple nights in a row. And one night Reuters had picked up some of my photos. And then the next night I was like, I'm gonna get picked up tonight, no matter what, I'm gonna get these sold. Yeah. Um, and it just happened to be that like, they were talking about behind the scenes, at least trying to purchase some of mine, but um, not telling me that. And I happened to be there when a kid got shot on the Morrison Bridge. Holy crap. Um, and I got those pictures out there and then that got posted all over and kind of went viral on the internet. I guess the reason why I bring this up is that, like, unfortunately, what the news is looking for when it comes to breaking news is blood, violence, or something that's going to, like, cause some sort of visceral reaction. So, right. and I really gathered this from my experience at Standing Rock when I walked away that I was like, I don't know that I just want to be doing breaking news. Yeah. Um, because... Don't get me wrong, there's some amazing breaking news photographers out there and like it's a cool, like interesting world. It can be really exciting. Just witnessing it, like elements of it, um, I definitely realized that like there are the storytellers that tell the story that they see or the story that they want to and then there are storytellers that um, are telling the story that the general mass media is asking them to tell. Right. And I've found myself on both sides of that. And um, I know which side I'm more interested in being uh, involved in. It was a, a real big push-pull for me with that. And it's uh, something I'm still kind of working through. Mm -hmm. um, at this point in time, I still consider myself a freelance photojournalist. And um, there are times where I think I'm just going to try and like move somewhere to like work for a newspaper just to like have that need to continuously shoot. Mm -hmm. um, I'm also kind of starting to dabble in the commercial industry and like playing more of like fashion and portrait and cool. um, that could be maybe where I make my money and then from there I just tell the stories that I want to within the whole documentation realm and put that out there in a way that it's not about making money but it is about telling like a story that I feel has like a different level of authenticity. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, that's kind of a long answer to your question. No, uh, it's good. So are you obsessed with anything right now? What are, what are you excited to tell? Like what's... Storytelling wise? Mm -hmm. Is there something on the... I mean, I've kind of been like really going back and forth. Um, so I was supposed to be in Brazil again this last summer working on a project with a friend of mine who is an ethnographer, an amazing researcher. Um, him and I did a project uh, years ago in Rio we were essentially uh, uh, trying to like dig deeper into understanding the world of transgender, uh, transgender sex workers in Rio de Janeiro. And we got to meet this amazing woman who was like the Madonna of the community. Um, she was not 
very happy to meet us initially um, <laughs> to the point of like threatening to hurt people, including ourselves if we didn't oh, wow. leave. But in the end, she loved us to the point of like taking us down the streets and introducing us to all the girls and let us take pictures. And she was wow. like an encyclopedia of that whole world, which was great. Um, uh, but yeah, so Miguel's somebody I've known for a while. He's a really great guy and amazing researcher. And he's doing a project right now in uh, northern Brazil looking at essentially like these, uh, for lack of a better term, like ghetto communities, like these shanty towns that historically were slave communities. And um, in recent years with all of like the tourism and big mega events in Brazil, um, they've had like these military occupations of those towns, like oh, wow. literally tanks going in and SWAT and all that and like taking over those towns. But um, with time going by and Brazil going its own sort of like America first type of mentality. Okay. So suddenly like nobody wants to pay for policing poor brown people. So you're seeing those programs getting like weaned off, but then meanwhile, like those SWAT members are like that much more paranoid because they're in like historically uh, narco trafficker contested zones. And it's just this really like intense scenario. Like uh, I lived in a favela in Rio for a while and like police would go walking down the street with like assault rifles in hand, mm -hmm. like pointing them as they turned down alleys. So right. like literally one day I was coming back from the grocery store and I suddenly have five cops on me with like, uh, I think they were AK-47s um, and they're pointing at me and I'm like, I've got milk. <laughs> you know? And then they were just like, oh, it's just a gringo, let's go, right. you know? Yeah. But uh, yeah, so like it's a really intense kind of dynamic that Miguel's working on in uh, Northern Brazil and he's got access to multiple angles of it from like going on SWAT runs to like hanging out with the narco traffickers to occupy those zones to wow. hanging out with the women's prison population and just regular community members. And so we were supposed to be working on a documentary on that. That's been temporarily delayed due to a few uh, untimely, uh, just some really amazing people that we both care about passing away at random sure. times and all that. But um, yeah, so suddenly I'm kind of like left to my own devices again on like what's my next project. Right. And I've got uh, a lot of work that I've just been doing recently on, yeah, like portrait and fashion stuff, which has been kind of like my recent obsession of like just like improving my photography and like becoming better within that. Mm -hmm. um, and then I've kind of got uh, something on the side that um, I'm working on in Portland that I, I, I don't like talking about things before they're like, yeah, no, I know to uh, like early in the woodworks, sure. because then if I don't follow through, it doesn't really, you know, um, become what I was w hoping for. Well, but and there's this part of the creative process where it's sometimes nice to keep something like tender into yourself. Yeah. And, like in the like juicy, wonderful, like newness of idea stage. Yeah. And as well, like it's like, I keep on having these little like seeds kind of popping up with it that's telling me like, all right, it's time to like focus and hone in on that. Yeah. Um, so I'm kind of getting ready to actually gear up for it, but I also haven't been putting the work in enough to like call it mine yet. That's fair. Um, but yeah, so there's a potential local documentary uh, like project on the horizon. And uh, even if it just ends up being initially just like, brief little interviews that I can put b-roll over like just something to kind of like give that feel and mm -hmm. see how the community is reacting with it like 
that's kind of like I think would be fun as opposed to like trying to be like I'm gonna put together a feature you know yeah. because like putting on a feature together is awesome but like is like sacrificing years of your life and all of your like mental resources and all that and like uh, you don't even know if it'll hit but like totally. if you could give something small and digestible and like that's related to some of the stuff that's going on in the political sphere right now that people could like interact with and if there's enough reaction then it's like uh, kind of the world telling you like yeah go forward. I was kind of read like I was just thinking about how these days because technology is so accessible and you can put something you can put feelers out yeah. much like people don't re release albums anymore because it yeah. used to you could go with like two years in the studio to get a good album when you could afford to do that sort of thing mm -hmm. and you can put like a single out or or put some some stuff out in the world that just like hey here's a taste of what we're working on and, and see if it works out yeah like other feedback it, it can be great to have the community give you feedback and it and it could be nice to just do something that you're obsessed with yeah. and you can't get it out of your system yeah um i was i was sharing with a friend that like not many people knew or know that like as I was playing guitar, I have an arm that has limited range of motion, and so it's challenging for me to play the guitar, actually. Yeah. I, 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 when I'm, you know, practiced and such, I, do, I play pretty well. Uh, and she was like, why, why don't more people know that? And I was like, well, you know, you just want to make good stuff. Yeah. But for me, I, I, was, I was kind of obsessed. I had these songs that needed to come out, and I needed to, like, I needed to, like, wrap around something and put, put myself in the world in a particular way, and so I, I found it hurt. And I found a way to do it. It yeah. wasn't easy, and it never be. You know, there was. I mean, I guess there's aspects of it became easier, but there was always some level of pain for me to do it. Yeah. And uh, so it's a, it's a. It's interesting because we have the ability to just like put feelers out, like oh, here's something I'm interested in, and if, and if it catches wind, and if there's some momentum there, then I can say yes to it. So that's kind of nice. Yeah. Um. <laughs> And, and you don't necessarily have to fall completely on your face. Yeah. Because your, your community will catch you. It's like, yeah, we love that you're doing this thing. Keep going. But then <laughs> there's the challenge of, like, if you put a teaser out and you really want to fucking do it and it's just crickets, you're, you've exposed yourself a little. Yeah. And you can't fall back on, like, well, I was going to do it anyway, but now. <laughs> is it that no one was looking that direction when I did it? Uh-huh. Is it that it sucked? You know, it's interesting. I don't know how you feel. No, I, I think that it's always an interesting thing for me. I mean, even just, like, I hate that I, like, put so much energy into Instagram sometimes because, like, to me at times I feel like it's just another superficial social media community. Yeah. But at the same time, like, you know, I, I working in the film industry, I also work sometimes on big commercial photography sets and I get to talk to, like, some big deal photographers and mm -hmm. that whole world. And they're just like, yeah, it sucks that we're like kind of uh, surrendering to it. And they're like, but in this day and age, like people will get hired based on how many followers they have. Yep. Um, and it's the same thing with journalism and Twitter. Like I've had friends that are journalists and like they ask them in an interview, like how many Twitter followers do you have? Which should have nothing to do with like how good of a journalist you are. Yeah. But like in this day and age, um, there's some sort of like uh, social capital that's associated with um, social media and um, employers are looking at that. Yeah. Um, so, well, yeah. Even I, for freaking bartending. Yeah. Uh, like 
it, it sort of makes sense. That, like if you're a photographer, you want to have a great Instagram feed and people following and people around your story and yeah. our, our artists that create things can utilize Instagram to actually sell the things that create and yes. help, you know, but like even my friends who are still bartending, they have to like post things. Yeah. I have friends that work at Guitar Center and they start posting things like all businesses are, are, are utilizing people's connections. And it's yeah. not like they weren't before, but it's really in a different capacity. Yeah. 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 But yeah, I mean, going back to that idea of like putting things out there, there are times where I'll put something out there that I'm like, I really resonated with this image or yeah. like there's something about this that like just feels like cutting edge and then like there's just crickets <laughs> and then there's other times that I'll put something up and I'm just like yeah cool like it's it's cool whatever and then like there's just this abundance of like wow that's so gripping or interesting and I'm just like really like because that's okay you know like you never know what's gonna yeah resonate with people and like that's kind of one of the challenges of being an artist I think at times is like uh, you know, at times we do stuff just for us and yes. like that's kind of the goal I think a lot of the times but at the same time sometimes you're doing stuff because it's a part of you know putting stuff out there and seeing what works and what doesn't and mm -hmm. within that there will be times where you'd just be really surprised at like what resonates with people. Yeah, I was, what was I? Was I 19? Maybe 20, I was maybe 20 and uh, there's an artist in Vegas that was talking to me about the like, this like the apex of performing. This idea that you've like, when you jump on stage, you jump on fully, and part of the part of the thing is you got to find a way on all nights that you play, no matter who's in the audience, no matter how you're feeling that day, you got to find a way to get yourself off first. And then you have to have that external line. It's like if, if you're in that state, then you can give the show to the audience, <laughs> <laughs> and you bring them in on it, right? And I've I've always kept that sort of in the back of my mind of this, this conflict of uh, where you're doing something that you love and you're doing something that has value in the world. And, 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 and there are other, what is it, the, is it Ichigai? That like Japanese, um, there's like four areas of like a well-lived life and it's like you're doing something that's useful, you're doing something that comes easily to you, you're doing something that's like connected to purpose and then there's this fourth thing. I'm, I'm good at remembering three, but two of three, four <laughs> is hard. But there's this sense of like matching something that you'd be willing to do and, and something that comes easily enough to you and it would give you pleasure and feel purposeful and something, but also has use to other people. Mm -hmm. And trying to figure out like as a freelancer where to, where to put that and where to show up and like mm -hmm. what gets me up in the morning, what makes me feel good, where would I feel most connected and useful. Like useful is a new one for me. I yeah. think the last six years, like I, I wanted to be clever for a lot of time and do stuff I liked, but, yeah. but then in the last six years, like being of use has been part of one of the driving forces when I wake up and want to step outside. Yeah. I think I get that. Um, that was, I don't know, like I feel like I kind of gathered that one earlier on because of uh, when I was in Thailand years ago in the tsunami relief, like, mm -hmm. so, you know, when I first started traveling, I, I had like this goal of like endless summer. Like I just wanted to be like checked out from the world, like like not interested in current events. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to like be a surfer dude, enjoying my life, you know, just having fun, you know? Yeah. And uh, that 
still sounds really great. I just don't think I have the personality <laughs> for it. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, when I was in Thailand after the tsunami, um, you know, I'd gone there for like vacation as well as uh, like wanting to study uh, Muay Thai, like because I used to do a lot of like martial arts in the back in the day, and uh, yeah, I showed up and like here's this devastated country and happened to be that one of my best friends from Scotland bumped into me on an island. Um, <laughs> we had a very interesting morning as we consumed mushrooms, which I didn't know I was consuming mushrooms at the time, which followed to a wonderful evening. Uh, <laughs> really, that's usually how that works out. Uh, but yeah, uh, he was already working on the tsunami relief and he took me along and was like, let's go. And there was something about like seeing my physical work, like helping people that like had just suffered this extreme devastation um, that I suddenly understood why being of use was really fucking important to me. Yeah. And that's why originally like, you know, it took me a little while, but I ended up going back to school and everything. Cause when people are saying, well, maybe you should find a job, like, one of the questions I asked myself is like, when was I the happiest? Right. And it was definitely like then. Yeah. Um, now, you know, like kind of going back to that, like different four touchstones, like there's another side of me that realized that like storytelling's really important to me. Mm -hmm. And that's why like the overlapping theme between like cultural anthropology, like as an ethnographic research, photojournalism, film, all that, it's storytelling. Yeah. And there's a creative component that's also really important to me as well. Like that I need to have like these things of like, I feel like I'm helping people. I feel like I'm being of use. I feel like I'm like doing something that I feel like I'm pushing myself and excited to be in that creative energy. And then what the other, the other part was. The other stuff. Yeah. That's on the All thing. That. There's, there's like we should look it up later. Yeah. Put up a, a graphic or something so the people who are watching Somewhere this on Somewhere out there, there's a philosopher that's like really disappointed. <laughs> Probably dead. <laughs> Super dead. <laughs> I don't know who created that. I've just seen it lately. Yeah. A lot of entrepreneurs are like putting it out in the world because there are a lot of people in the the field of helping people connect to their passion, their purpose, and yeah. in different ways. I think I think I've been, you know, even this right now, our conversation, this like podcast I'm creating is is a work in progress. Yeah. And uh, I think last night or maybe this morning, you know, the bathroom fascinating bathroom realizations. I think it's uh -huh. like one of the things that I'm going out after here is like inspiring people um, towards passion, purpose, and play. Cause I wanted it to be alertive. So yeah. I, I went there. Like it was mostly like play and purpose and then passion's yeah. good too. Like what are, what are people drawn to? Yeah. Um, so I think that's what I'm doing. I think, I think that you're, on, you're on the right yeah, <laughs> path of that. And like, and it's, it's great because like yeah when you can talk with different people that are like going and trying to like search out exactly that within their own world like yeah. whether if it's that they own a, a cool like coffee shop or you know that they're a physical artist or whatever like yeah. I think that like there are different ways that people can like interact to find those that that trio nice um, yeah and that definitely it's a it's a daily uh, thing for me you know like uh, passion purpose and play is like huge for me and I think play is one of the factors that at times I've 
forgotten to add in there. Right. And uh, have been trying to actively incorporate a bit more recently. Nice. Um, and it's, you know, it's a push-pull, like, because the other thing that, like, all of us know living in this, you know, like, capitalist society is that uh, we also have to find a way to keep fed. All right, eating. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not always, like, the easy part. In fact, that's <laughs> usually the hardest part. And, like, right. I don't know, like, I've, I've talked about this over the years, like, a lot with people, and it's one thing that I've, like, thought about is, like, so, you know, like, you find your career or like you go on these different paths walking those different careers mm -hmm. and like one of the biggest things that i find is that the average person has to make moral sacrifices there in there's some a little capacity bit. sacrifices somewhere yeah something yeah. in some capacity right. yeah um and yeah yeah exactly maybe, maybe it isn't a moral sacrifice maybe it is a, a sacrifice of funds or whatever else you know right. but like so for example, um, like I think academia is great for a lot of people, mm -hmm. and I was like headed in the direction of being an academic, and like maybe someday, like down the line, I'll go back and and make that happen. But there's something about like that system of like constantly having to bow down to the system to. Right. Uh, you know, play the politics of that system. Otherwise, you might not get published. Sure. Or you might never become, like, on a tenured track. Or, you know, like, there's always this, like, uh, push and pull within that that I witnessed with a lot of friends that were going through it. And some of the most, like, uh, cutting edge of researchers were the ones that were shut out the most because they weren't playing by the rules. Oh, heck yeah. Um, I think the trade-off there, I mean, with us doing more entrepreneurial and freelance kind of work, we, we sacrifice this kind of stability. Yeah. Systems have stability. Yeah. And if you're going outside the system, that's, the, the floor isn't always level and always fully built. And then within <laughs> that, like, there's systems within systems. So, for example, like, I work in the film industry as a whole. Mm -hmm. And, like, I feel like the Portland film industry is a lot more, like, uh, community-based and does a better job than some areas of the world when it comes to that stuff. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, there's still an old foundation of, like, sexism, racism, misogyny, all that stuff still there. Yeah. And, like, I don't see it on the average day. Like, I've seen some really cool, empowered situations. I've worked for assistant directors that are females. I've worked with, um, you know, some really, like, awesome people in that industry that are like actively trying to shift some of that stuff but it's still there <laughs> you know and it's times where like you're like okay so here i am walking into this industry and like in some way shape or form by me being there i'm playing ball right you know and even if like my intention is that like after i get to a different level i'll do things differently I'm still there, right? you know? And so in some way, shape or form, that's consent. I was thinking when you were talking further back about the difference of like, like shifting your world from making money from photojournalism and, and, and giving the media what they think they want or what they think we want or what they need to tell us. Yeah. And you're like, oh, I'm thinking of shifting back into like fashion photography and I nearly said at the time, I was like, yeah. Yeah, no, and, and that's what I mean. It's yeah. like, there's this constant theme, like whatever, profession I've played with or world that I've like dabbled in I've found that like 
in some way, shape or form, you're complicit. Right. Unless you're completely not, in which case you're waiting upstream against a big freaking river. Yes. And like some people make that happen. That's so cool. Right. But even then when they get bought out or when they start selling in, like there's this theme of like, are they then becoming complicit? And you know, I don't have the answers, um, but I definitely am constantly witnessing the themes and uh, totally. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Like it is like, I mean like even just, dealing with uh friends of mine that are painters or like you know that like if you deal with the gallery world Mm -hmm. in some way shape or form you are complicit to something that you probably don't agree with yes um and that's kind of what i mean it's like there's this like constant theme of like trying to say like what sacrifices am i willing to make in order to create what i want to and how do i keep myself in check so that if I can finally get to where I want to be, that I can be hopefully pushing back on some of these themes right. or creating change within my community as opposed to uh, just continuing and like, like continuing to consent to like these themes of, uh, I don't know, uh, can't think of the word, you know what I mean? <laughs> I do kind of know what you mean. You were, we were talking about like when you were asking me like, what am I looking for in this interview? And I, I don't want to like pretend I'm more successful than I'm not. Cause you can do that. Yeah. You can show up and you can have fancy 4K videos and make things look like more exciting. And, and what you're talking about, like in my like personal development entrepreneur, digital entrepreneur world, a lot, a lot of people can put up the posts of sharing their six figure incomes and sharing their results from their clients. And I, and I watch it go by and I, you know, there's, um, the kind, I have a marketing background, so the kind of marketing that one can utilize to talk about the results they get with people, like you, you can be very successful pretending to be as successful as you th- are pretending to be. That mm-hmm. can work. Yeah. And hopefully you would think only for a while, but the deal is if you have the right amount of resources, you can pay other people to create stuff that gives value and you can just be the face of that. Yeah, absolutely. Right? So, so I also, like even just sitting right here, like talking about my, my own work with clients and my own level of like, we're all in the stream. Yeah. And, and some, like how much we want to like create a new path or fight the current or, you know, like play into how things have been grooved so far just because generations before, like it's in our cells even. Yeah. I, I, love, I love when people have you like point your finger at yourself and like always going back to your meditation of like, okay, let me own my own failings, let me own my own character challenges, let me, let me figure out a way to just be a better person each day as I show up with more and more integrity, recognizing things that are going on. I'm just like, okay, is it, is it like I eat today or do I fight the system? Yeah. And sometimes, it, sometimes you can do both. Yeah. And sometimes it feels like it's a choice and it's like a minute to minute choice of, of how we walk. Yeah. And uh, I think one of the things I've been, so some of my current obsessions that, that help me sleep at night and get up in the morning or, or figuring out how to, how to have more joy and how to have more play. Yeah. So, and oh, and I gave myself permission, I think it was about four years ago, I gave myself permission to take myself less seriously mm-hmm. and I've been able to do better work I used to take that. myself so seriously and the more that I'm playful and goofy, yeah. the better the better impact that I've had and the easier my that. life feels. Um, shit, there, what was the other thing I was gonna say? To play less serious. 
Meh. I forgot it. It was going to be good, though. It was going to be good. Something about, something about sacrifice and eating. I don't remember. I love it. I was going to give you two examples, and I just gave you one. No, it's okay. Uh, <laughs> I very much like the one. <laughs> yeah. Mm, it was something about, like, fighting the current, how, how, how much you want to, like, I think of this as, as, like, showing up to somebody's house for dinner. Yeah. And knowing that I have my ways of eating that keep keep me healthy, like you were yeah. talking about, like you're not you're not doing so much with the sugar and the gluten and the dairy, and that's 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 part of my path too. It's yeah. like, but sometimes sometimes it's easier, like it's easier on my system yeah. and my stomach to be connected with people and eat the stuff I don't eat. Yeah, if that makes any sense, like like f- trying to fight and 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 be s- like individual and be on my path and be like like fight every battle as I walk into the room. Yeah. It's harder on my system. Well, and that's kind of what I mean about like making some of those sacrifices, I guess, is that like, you know, initially when I had a lot of my like younger like early 20s ideals, my thought was, you know, screw the system. I'm not going to be a participant. I'm just going to do things my own way. Right. And um I think that there's always, you know, some people that can do that and do a good job and um, and they play their part. And I think that that's the biggest point is that like everybody has a role in whatever process of change you're trying to create. You know, like you, you have people that are completely submerged and like uh, in the system. Mm-hmm. And then hopefully like those people are influenced by people that are like somewhere in between the system. And then you have the people on the outside, but like everybody has their own portion on how they can work to create some sort of change. And uh, that was for me eventually, as I realized that I think I'm going to do more by like utilizing my strengths and Mm -hmm. being within the communities and being within like networking people and being able to like, befriend people and then like lightly or maybe directly like <laughs> challenging them to say like we can do better yeah you know yeah um that is the truth that once you're among people when they like you they're more uh receptive receptive to what you're saying yeah 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 absolutely if you're just some random person that comes in and says like yeah so they're they're having dinner and you're suddenly <laughs> knocking on their door at 6 30 p.m and they're like sorry we're having dinner like no you're not having dinner because I'm going to shove this down your throat. Like right. More times than not, they're going to be less receptive. It yeah. doesn't mean that person shouldn't be doing what they're doing. But like for me personally, I find breaking bread, though I may not eat the bread. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got to be invited to dinner. Yeah. The person who's invited to dinner has the more ability to shift somebody's perspective. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's the goal of leading as well. And that's kind of where I hope to be as well. Like as time goes on, it's like, when I'm producing my own thing, that I can actively and intentionally create a different foundation for people to say, that worked really well, and he didn't do it within like the normal rules. Nice. Well, I'm gonna watch it, whatever you do. Gotta do it first. You've got, you've got like, you've got at least one fan <laughs> for whatever you create next. I'm excited about that. Can I tell you a secret? Go for it. Okay, so when we met, I don't know how many years. It feels almost ten-ish. It's like eight or ten years ago-ish. Yeah, probably. Yeah. So I remember saying to myself, like when we were hanging out, and it may have been at sushi. I was like, man, ten years from now, Cole is gonna be an amazing motherfucker, and I can't wait to meet him. 
I said that. I was like, I don't know. I don't know if I ever told you that story. No, no, I don't think so. <laughs> so you're like, you're within like two years from there. You're still fascinating now, right? Yeah. I don't no. know. I was right. I like being right. <laughs> <laughs> I really appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's weird to think about like how quickly times come by, but uh, yeah. But it's been good. It's been, you know, like I'd say one of my most common frustrations is that I'm not like getting stuff done fast enough within the time process that I have. But I also find kind of similar about like not taking yourself too seriously and right. being able to play is that like the times that I get more shit done is when I'm not like stressing over how much time I have. <laughs> That's fair. Well, and I guess the good news is, uh, okay, so if we don't destroy the planet, yeah, we may, yep. or we'll probably just destroy ourselves, and the planet will still be here. Those are the odds. Likely. So, uh, technology is kind of pushing that we're going to be supremely old, unless you get shot in Brazil. You get I mean, shot in the states. What are you talking? You're, about? You get shot anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> like if you're on the front lines of amazing things happening, I. Uh, I don't tend to worry about that for you. I feel like there's some sort of energetic goodness. Plus, you're also super trained in martial arts, so that helps. Like, expanded awareness. I just try and know which battles I can fight and which ones I can't. Well, isn't that the first lesson in your martial arts class? Is like, you learn how to dodge and which things to get into. <laughs> To escalate before you fight? Uh, yeah, I mean, it depends. There's a lot of different types of martial arts out there <laughs> and everything, but yeah. I'd say that there's a lot of philosophy about avoiding a lot of conflict in the first place. Yeah. And th when I go into conflict, I'm usually not going in as an aggressor. That's fair. I'm going in as an observer. But it's better. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, sorry, I feel like we, I took you off track. No, no. <laughs> no, no. Was I on a track? Shit. Uh, it's no, cool. no, no, no. I'm just, I'm just excited to see what you're up to next. And uh, the images that come out or whatever, whatever shenanigans you get into. Yeah. Yeah, I am too. Like, I feel like I've got, I've got some, like, definite, like, travel stuff ahead of me. And admittedly, yeah, I, I am going for that foundation a bit more. So working within the realms of the film industry and of, like, commercial and all that. Um, but... Like the whole plan with that is like do that so that then I can really do the projects that I'm going after. And that's where like I get juicy. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, Funding your, your massive play. Yeah. It's interesting because it almost, it's like the, I have some adventure friends that have the kind of stable jobs that allow them to just like buy a plane or fly helicopters or base jump off of mountains. There's like, they keep like their adventure and their play gets like bigger yeah. and juicier. Yeah. So they, they, they build a bigger foundation that they can jump off from. That sounds fun. Yeah. <laughs> I know you can do that. I have no worries about you being able to do that. Yeah. It's like the one thing I have really gathered over the last few years, which like um, is, it's something I still kind of struggle with on like the day to day, mm -hmm. but like, it's like I was telling a couple of interns at the, the Portlandia rap party at season eight. Um, I was like, everything that you want to accomplish in this industry is like perfectly doable. Like you're going to meet people over and over and over again that are going to tell you you can't and they're wrong. Mm -hmm. But the only way it's going to get done is if you do it. 
and you have to show up and there's gonna be nobody that is gonna be your biggest advocate except for yourself and you just have to keep going. But like, I've witnessed that firsthand and it's not really just this industry. I feel like- Oh, that's every- With life in its own way. Yeah. Um, obviously there's limiting factors. I mean, don't get me on the rant from anthropology. Like, <laughs> there's realistic, like class is a real thing and all yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, but I just feel like there is like a lot of like opportunity for people if they can like really just believe in it and make it happen and start like living it. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the biggest struggles that probably won't happen as fast as you want it to. And that's like a daily thing for me is like, I know what I want, it hasn't happened yet. Yeah. And therefore I wanna have a temper tantrum about it. Oh, I'm good at that too. <laughs> I want the thing now. But you know, like I just feel like anything is realistically like doable if you have that goal. Yeah. Do you mind if that's we my motivational that? speech. That was good. <laughs> we should like remember that like at the end there where they clip that and throw it at the front. Yeah, that's fine. I love it. Yeah, totally. I um I imagine we're at sort of the time. Yeah. I'm so glad you were here. <laughs> yeah, it's really good to see you. <laughs> well, that's how that went. <laughs> Thanks for joining us on this episode. Thanks for watching, listening, I don't know, reading, imbibing, however you took this in. Thanks for being here. And if you really enjoyed it, I'd, I'd love it if you would do all of the things. Uh, like, share, I don't know, ring a bell, bang a gong, tell a friend, and come back next time. I hope you had as much fun as I had.